Amen. So we're in week three of our latest sermon series, which we've entitled Foundations for Faith, where we're looking at how we can enhance our youth and children's work here, how we can sow into their lives, how we can uh, play our part in seeing them become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to pick up on a theme that we've begun to talk about at week one of this sermon series. We're going to read the Bible through the sermon today, so we'll come to the readings in a minute. But really, if you remember the first week that we looked at together when we opened this series up, we were talking about the verse that we see in Proverbs, which says, train a child up in the way that he should go, and in his old age, he will not depart from it. And we spoke about this idea of training, and we talked about the fact that training is aiming, that we're called to set the direction and help coach our children and young people in the way that they should go. And we talked about that in terms of one of the chief ways that we do that is to set the example ourselves. And it's that theme that I want to pick up from Scripture again today as we unpack some verses from the Bible together. Because the reality is, a remarkable amount of things that we learn in life, and indeed our youth and children are learning in life, comes from learnt behaviour, doesn't it? I have three wonderful children Ask me and I will talk to you all day long about how amazing I think my children are. But I have to be honest, there is one of my three children, and I won't tell you which one this morning, there is one of my three children that knows how to push my buttons more than any of the others. At times, they have the ability to really, really annoy me. And when I find myself getting worked up by this particular child, Gemma will often remind me that the reason that I am getting so annoyed at the way they go about things and the way they behave is because they're exactly the same things that I do myself. You see, what I often see in this particular child and what makes me so annoyed, staring back at me, probably are the annoying traits that I have in my life and the way that I go about things. Where have they picked these things up from? They've picked these things up from seeing their father act in a certain ways and do certain things and say certain things. You see, a lot of our behavior in life is learnt behavior. It's why some young men don't know how to treat a woman well, because they've never had that modeled to them by the people that have gone before. It's why some people are so bad when it comes to financial management, because they've never had someone show them how to look after their money well. It's why I am horrendously bad when it comes to anything to do with DIY. I could barely hang a picture at home because my dad wasn't about when I was younger and I didn't have someone to model to me how to do these things. A lot of our behaviours that we learn in life are learnt behaviours. And what's true of the physical is also true of the spiritual. If knowing how to have good relationships with people around us comes from the relationships that we often see around us, then our children and their relationship with God is often modelled to them by the relationship they see us having with God. Now, don't get me wrong, we're still talking about the same principle that we talked about in the first week, and just because you have a great relationship with God yourself doesn't automatically mean that your children are going to have a great relationship 
with God. Ultimately, every man, woman and child has to decide for themselves at some point in their life whether they're going to walk the broad path or the narrow path. But if we're looking to set our children and our young people up well, and we're looking to give them the best opportunity that they can have to come to know Jesus for themselves, then it's us that sets their walk into motion. It's us that plays the part in showing them what it means to have a relationship with God. And with that in mind, I want to turn to our first scripture together this morning. We're going to look at one verse in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. And Paul says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That sounds like quite an audacious statement, doesn't it? Do what I do because I do what Christ does. Now, that sounds a little bit arrogant to me because it sounds like he's saying, live like I live, talk like I talk, love like I love, and if you do these things, then you'll be on the right track. We know, don't we, from looking at the life of Paul and looking at his conversion together in a previous sermon series that Paul definitely wasn't the perfect person. At one point in his life, at least, he hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He approved of the murder of Christians. But then he met Jesus in a really powerful way. And he fell truly and utterly and totally and madly in love with him. And he wanted the whole world to know the difference that Jesus had made to his life and the difference Jesus could make to their lives as a result. And that's why he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the heart of disciple making. The heart of loving others is to live around others in such a way that those looking at us, and indeed maybe even those who are following us, are actually following Jesus because they see Jesus in our life and follow that example. And with that in mind, turn with me to our second scripture together today. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 together. And this is what we read. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended into the lower earthy regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until... We all reach the unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That is, Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part of it does its work. I hate being that preacher, but am I sounding all right up here this morning? I don't want to highlight the sound technicians' issues because they do a great job, but I sound very echoey up here. Is that coming out okay down there? It's all right. All right. It's just me up here. It's just, oh, that's cool. So this particular passage and other translations of scripture tells us to walk worthy of the call in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I love to walk. Walking is probably my favorite way to get around. I grew up in Portsmouth, and if you know Portsmouth, you may know that Portsmouth is an island. It is totally surrounded by water everywhere you go in Portsmouth. I used to live in the middle of this particular island, and I would go to college, catering college, at one particular end of the island. It was about three miles from where I lived. Now, not like a normal person, I decided I didn't want to get a bus or get a lift. I decided that every single day, I was going to walk to college from my house. So that's what I'd do. I'd go to college, I'd do my day at college, and then I would have to go to work. Now, I worked as a trainee chef at this particular time, which was on the other side of the island. So from my college, I would walk all the way to my work. I'd do my shift at work, and then I'd come home walking from there back to my house in the middle of the island. I would walk about 10 miles a day, generally, four or five different times a week. Even now, if I've got the option to walk somewhere or drive or get transport in some ways, I will always choose to walk. But it's only really recently in my life that I've learned to appreciate that you can walk without actually having a purpose to walk. But there is a difference, isn't there, between aimlessly walking somewhere and walking with a purpose. Sometimes it is enjoyable simply to go for a walk to enjoy the scenery, enjoy the company that you might be with, and just have a little bit of a wander. It might pass the time, though, but it doesn't actually get you anywhere. But when you walk from a fixed point to another, when you go from A to B, though it might be slow, eventually you see some progress. Though it might take time, eventually you end up getting to your destination. And these are really two contrasting pictures, aren't they, of the Christian life. You see, for so many Christians, if we're honest, sometimes our Christian walk just feels like we're walking around a little bit aimlessly. We'll do the things that we're supposed to do. We'll attend church, we might read the Bible, we might go to a life group, we might do all of these things, but we never truly allow Jesus to direct us. We never truly allow Jesus to show us the way to go and to lead us and let him have the impact that he wants to have on our life. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Because if we're genuinely passionate about seeing our children and our young people in this place come to know Christ, 
If we're passionate about seeing them take a walk with Jesus on purpose, we need to be the people who are demonstrating that to them. So my question that I want us to consider and ponder together this morning is what does it mean to walk with purpose? Well, the passage that we've read together today in Ephesians, that gives us one or two clues to what this might look like. And the first today is simply this. that If we're going to be a people who walk with purpose, we need to be a people who walk in humility and in unity. Verses 2 to 6 says this, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Greek word which is used here and is translated for us as bearing with one another in verse 2 is the word anakonomai, which literally means to take responsibility for something or someone over and over again. It's this commitment to walk with one another, to do life with one another, to endure with one another through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs, whatever life might bring our way. And Paul refers to this kind of walk in other areas of Scripture too. So we could turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 when we read about love and the very first attribute that Paul says about love is that love is patient. And in Galatians 6 verse 2, for another example for us this morning, Paul tells us that we should be a people who carry one another's burdens and in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. What does Paul refer to when he talks about the law of Christ? Simply, Christ's command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we bear with one another then? How do we love one another well? I never forget one of the first church meetings that I ever went to as a Christian. I've been a Christian for a couple of years by this point. I got saved in a Baptist church, and like this church, we would have regular church meetings where we would discuss what is going on. i never forget my first one. I was 16 at the time, just being baptised. I was so excited about my faith. And I went along to this church meeting naively. I must admit, I was really naive. Because I went along thinking, great, the church, we're going to get together this evening and we're going to discuss together how we're going to impact Portsmouth with the gospel. I'm well excited about this. What I was met with was a really long and boring meeting and Christians getting absolutely irate with one another because someone within the church had dared to say that maybe it was time we removed the pews and we put chairs in. There's some laughs in the church. I'm guessing you've had similar church meetings around this here. But I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Here I was at 16 years old thinking, great, as a church, we're going to change the world and what we're worried about is what we're sitting on. And I went to the pastor the next day probably a little bit arrogantly, but I went to him and said, if this is what it means to be a church member, count me out. I want nothing to do with this kind of conversation. The fact of the matter is, one of the most powerful ways that we witness is the way that we walk together. 
And we're called to walk together humbly, bearing with one another's differences, walking together in unity, learning how to disagree well, and choosing to love one another, even when sometimes our actions are slightly unlovable. We are going to disagree at times. We're going to have differences of opinion on what is important and what our priorities should be. We'll have different views on how we should spend our money. Maybe we'll even have different views on certain theological aspects. And my question and my challenge for each and every one of us is, how does our behaviour towards one another and our walk with one another, with purpose, show that next generation who are coming up behind us and set the benchmark for them in their own discipleship and their own walk with Christ? We have to set the example for children and young people like me who don't come from a Christian family and don't have those people around them to show them what it means to be a Christ follower. We have to set the example by the way that we love one another and we walk with one another because it is the most powerful way that we witness to a world where family often means brokenness, argument and heartache. We have this opportunity to be countercultural in the way that we love one another and the way that we bear with one another. I needed people who went before me to set the example of what it meant to be a Christ follower. We get the opportunity to do that for those who are coming behind us in their walk with Christ. How are we setting the example and the standard by the way that we walk humbly and united with one another? Secondly, to walk with purpose from our passage today means to walk in service. Verses 11 and 12 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In this section, Paul highlights to us that God has given certain people with certain giftings to the church to be called for certain tasks. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. They're called to equip the saints for works of service. There's a whole sermon right there to be preached on another occasion. But what I want us to see this morning is simply this. In writing what Paul writes here, he lets no one off the hook when it comes to this thing called ministry. No one is saved to sit, but we are all saved to serve. Maybe we should have a serving Sunday for the whole church coming up once a month, where we all say today we're actively going to get involved in something because we're not saved to sit, we are saved to serve. Because Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve. Even in his darkest moments, even when his world, humanly speaking, was falling in on itself, what does Jesus do? He serves. I look back on my younger years as a Christian. I remember when I came to faith and how excited I was when I met with Jesus. I genuinely believed at that point that through Christ I had the ability to change the world. And maybe that's the case for you too. But for some of us here, somewhere along the line, maybe that joy and that excitement about serving Jesus can so easily get beaten out of us. Whether that's through disappointments or knocks or things not turning out the way that we thought they would or hoped they would, or simply because we're feeling burnt out. 
Church, the truth is you are gifted. God has gifted you with spiritual gifts. God has done that so you'll be a blessing to the body that you will see the church built up and ultimately change the world around you. And when we walk in that call, when we understand that you and I are gifted, those following begin to imitate. It's a pattern that we see repeated throughout Scripture, isn't it? Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, Jesus to his disciples. Who is looking at the ways that you serve, I wonder, today? And who is imitating it? Finally, to walk with purpose means to walk with maturity. Verses 13 to 16 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. For him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, the amazing truth about the gospel is that when we come to Christ, he accepts us as we are. And we're called to have a childlike faith. We're called to have the same awe and wonder that lights up a child's eyes when they learn something new about the world. But here's the thing. We're called to be childlike and not childish. And so often Christians get the two mixed up. We can get so entrenched in our positions that we can get nasty at times with people that might disagree with us. We can get so prideful about our knowledge that we end up looking down on others. We can be a Christian for a significant length of time and yet miss the point. So what does it mean to be a mature Christian and what does Christian maturity actually look like? Well, if you want the Sunday school answer today, it's simply to become more like Jesus. And that is absolutely true. But I think there's one aspect to the life of Jesus which helps us to understand what it means to be a mature Christian, maybe more than anything else. Actually, when we look at the life of Jesus, the earthly life of Jesus, what we see totally manifested in him is this total and utter dependence upon the Father. In fact, Jesus had an inability to do anything independently from the Father. That's why Jesus says this in John 5 and verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Do you see the contrast here between Jesus and our human desires. On our own, we want to live independently. We want to live apart from God. We want to be our own God and master of our own destiny. But Christian maturity says, I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow him. You, Jesus, will be my guide in all my decision making. I'll follow the path that you call me to walk. 
and live in the way that you call me to live. And you know, when we begin to grasp that, that is when we begin to mature as Christians. Because we begin to know the reason that we were created in the first place. You know, we know, don't we, that this Christian walk is not a one-time event. It's not a say yes to Jesus and you're done, you're in the club, you don't have to do anything. It is a journey. It's a walk with purpose where we walk from where we were to who we are supposed to be. We walk this journey together. And we're called to imitate, or let those come before who behind us imitate our walk in him. And bringing it back to the subject that we're thinking about today, how do we set that example for children and young people? Thinking back to my teenage years, in my teenage years I went to many, many festivals where at the end of each session there would be an altar call and then there would be an announcement the next day. 300 young people gave their lives to Christ tonight. Isn't that wonderful? This summer, as already been mentioned today, our young people will be going off the spree and no doubt there will be similarly encouraging stats which come out of these festivals too. But do you know what? If I'm honest... I can't help but find myself being a little bit sceptical when I hear these kind of numbers branded about. Don't get me wrong, I'm thrilled when young people encounter Jesus at big festivals and big events. But unless they're coming back to churches full of people who model what it means to truly follow Christ, faith will at best be shallow and at worst fizzle out. So the challenge for us, Hope Baptist Church, is what example are we setting? What example are we setting to those that are coming behind us? Are we a church which is walking in humility and unity? Are we serving one another in the way that God calls us to serve? Or do we just leave it to others? Are we daily growing in maturity and love? Because church, this matters. Because there is a generation who is watching us. There is a generation who one day we will be their sermon illustrations because of the way that we have behaved. What are we teaching those that are coming behind us? Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Why don't we just take a moment of silence right now and ask the Lord to search our hearts. Ask the Lord to show us and highlight maybe some of the attitudes in our life which might be a little bit wrong. Ask the Lord to highlight and encourage those areas that he might be calling us to get involved and to serve. Not only in this place, but in life. Let's take a moment to ask the Lord to search our hearts and help us to grow in maturity.
Father, forgive us for the times where our attitudes have not set an example. Forgive us for the times where our walk has not been purposeful, but we've wandered around aimlessly. Forgive us for the times where we have got so hung up on things that in light of eternity don't really matter. And we've forsaken unity as a result. Lord, we confess today that we want to be a people who set an example for the emerging generations in our church. We thank you, Lord, as we've already talked about in this series, that our children our young people. They're not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today. And may we say, like Paul said, confidently, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Lord, we want to be Christ imitators. So have your way in our midst now. Speak to us. Encourage us, give us words of knowledge, give us pictures, give us verses, Lord God, that you're laying on people's hearts for the building up of your bodies here. And as the band lead us in in worship, I want to encourage you to keep this question and this refrain in your heart. Ask the Lord to search your heart today. I'm going to invite the prayer team to go to the back. And if you want to receive prayer for anything that we have spoken about this morning, Maybe you recognize that your walk with the Lord is not quite purposeful right now. Maybe you can identify with a feeling of being knocked and burnt out and tired. And you, you need the Lord to give you a fresh passion for his name. Maybe you recognize, I don't know, some attitudes that you need to repent of this morning. Our prayer team will be at the back and they'll just be willing to lay a hand on your shoulder to pray with you this morning. Maybe there are other prayer needs in your life at the moment as well. Maybe people are sick, you've got worries, and you just need someone to pray with you today. I want to encourage you as we worship God to use this opportunity for ministry today. Allow one another to minister to you. and Allow the Lord to speak. But let's worship in song as we respond to him.